0: Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Merry Christmas to you all. Merry Christmas. You know, I was thinking as we were singing those songs, beautiful lyrics, Steve, this morning. And they always touch you every Christmas, doesn't matter, right? You can sing them over and over again, and you think about that morning. And I was thinking, I certainly hope there's a YouTube somewhere of Christmas morning. Yeah, yeah. Do you think tech, you think tech has anything on God? Can you imagine when we get there, when we get to the kingdom? Do you think we're not going to get a chance to see that actual morning? If we can see YouTubes, and we can see... Uh, videos of things that happen. I am so anxious someday when God shows us those videos and we actually get to see what that Christmas morning was like. It really happened. It really happened. Well, this morning as we proceed and uh, move on this morning, uh, Joe and I were just sitting in the kitchen and we were just talking about taking the tithes and offering. And uh, just talking, and I said, why don't you just give our testimony? And he said, no, you do it. So, I'm just kind of, he pushed me up here this morning. So, really, when I say testimony, I I just want to say that, you know, really, more than anything else, when you commit your life to Christ and really choose to be his disciple, and you decide that it's going to affect every area of your life, I mean, think about a marriage. Is not every area of your life affected in a marriage? Well, that's what your relationship with Christ, our relationship with him, should be. And part of that is all that we are and all that we possess. And so many, many years ago, when God made that real to, to Joe and me, we decided that there would be a conscious decision to start with 10% and to give our our um, possessions first top thing off of whatever we whatever our income was, that it was going to Christ and the purpose of furthering his gospel because of what it had done in our lives. And I always try to underline to people, it's not a haphazard giving. It's a conscious decision in our lives that really makes the difference. And this is what we were thinking about this morning, not only over the maybe 40-something years that Joe and I have had the honor of sowing into the kingdom i want to tell us this morning and remind us that it's not about first off about our money it's first off about putting christ in his place in our lives we have just saying that he's lord and one of the ways that we declare his lordship and put him in and give him his rightful place in our lives is by giving of our possessions, as we will do in, in a few minutes. And this is the thought, as we were talking, I said, you know what? Not only, you know, this is, we hear it all the time. You know, we don't hear it anymore because we hear it so much. That God so loved the world that he gave. And giving is part of the Christian life. It's because the giver lives in you. And not only does it become um, something that you feel that you do at a commitment, You do it because you want to do it, because the life of a giver flows from you. And we found that as we made that conscious decision in the beginning, and it became part of our lives, one of our testimonies is to tell you, do you know what it does? Not only has God proved faithful to us over the times when we wondered how we were going to be able to make our bills, whether it was at home or whether it was in the church, There were many, many years in the church where we just didn't know one month from the next how we'd ever be able to get through. And you know, saints, truly, not only did we see God being faithful, but when you really make a conscious decision to put him first in your finances, you lose a fear. You lose a fear of financial chaos in your life. You actually when tough times come, you can stand on that ground and say, you know what? I've given God his first place and now I can trust him in this situation. How many of you have found that to be true in your life? Look around, it's true. He takes the the fear. You lose the fear in your life because you know what? Your employer and everyone stops being your source. And God becomes your source. You see people as channels, and you're grateful. But God becomes your source. So, ushers, will you come forward as we take, take this amazing opportunity this morning? Maybe you want to give a special Christmas gift this morning. Heaven knows we could use it. The the uh, treasury can use it this month. Um, as many people we want, we try to give to. Many, we have like 40 people in our daycare and office staff that we like to just celebrate with a, give them a little bit of a Christmas gift. So, if you feel that God had put it on your heart, we that would be wonderful this morning. So, Father, we just gather in this place this morning, like so many of our brothers and sisters all over the country and all over the world, those who have been had their eyes opened to. Your Lordship and to the reality of your life and presence and, and father we just resist every single Worldly thought that would make us think we're doing you any favor by putting money in a basket We do it this morning with the deep Lord resolve and the be, the deep uh, Conviction that you indeed are the Lord of this universe There is no throne higher than yours And that we come this morning, Lord, and we come and we make that, we make this just an act of worship this morning as we release our funds into this basket. It is one way of us saying, Lord, you deserve to take first place. Take first place in our lives, take first place in this church because, Lord, you deserve it. And Father, we do it with great joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
0: Well, I'd like to welcome you. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent, right? In the coming, we uh, we as Christians are awaiting the time and we're celebrating uh, the moment that the Savior of the world was, was born. And as Pastor Linda just alluded to, it's an interesting calendar year, right? That Christmas falls on a Sunday and New Year's falls on the Sunday afterwards. Well, I would like to talk to you today about one word, I'd like to give you one word uh, at this Christmas season. If you haven't been here for any of the weeks of Advent, I just want to leave you with one word and a, uh, a short message of what the gospel really is. Well, I'd like to start with an unusual source for a sermon. How many of you know the name George Carlin? George Carlin, comedian who passed a few years ago. Some of you are going, am I in the right place? I'm in a church, and this guy is using George Carlin as an illustration. Yes, I am. Uh, he had a, uh, a routine, and it was interesting. He, he talked about the difference between football and baseball, right? And this is his words, and he's talking about the spirit behind those two sports because, you know, they can be really different. So he said the difference between football and baseball. Football is played on a gridiron. Baseball is played in a park. Kind of a fun place to play. Football players wear helmets. Baseball players wear caps. In football, there's a specialist who comes in to kick something. In baseball, there's a specialist who comes in to relieve somebody. Football has the two-minute warning. Baseball has the seventh inning stretch. Football has sudden death. Sounds kind of ominous. Baseball gets extra innings. Not just innings, but extra innings. In football, a runner will give you a stiff arm. In baseball, the runner gets to slide. It's kind of fun. But the biggest difference between the two is that football, the object is military. In football, the battle is fought in the trenches. The field general, the quarterback, seeks to evade the blitz, soften up the enemy line with a pounding ground attack and aerial bombardment. He will mix bullet passes with the occasional going for the bomb in order to penetrate the enemy defenses and reach the end zone. In baseball, the object is to go home. Really cute. And really, when you think about it, what a beautiful thing that you want to go home. And just that word, think about how evocative that word home is. It doesn't matter what you've achieved in this world. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. That word strikes at the core of who all of us are. And for some of us in here, you hear that word and it makes you smile and it makes you laugh. For others in here, you hear that word and it makes you want to cry. And at this time of the year, we sing all types of songs. I just wrote down a couple. There's no place like home for the holidays. We didn't sing that one. Some of the songs we sing at Christmas time. Are you done with them yet? Right. No, you're not. Well, I am. You listen to the radio enough and the same songs and they play them over and over and over again. Well, that's me. OK, uh, I'll be home for Christmas. That's another one. All right? But you think about it. And just that word, it evokes memories. And for some of us in here, we have very happy memories. Right? For others of us. You hear that word home and there is real pain that is inside your heart from whatever your background is, wherever you grew up. And I know for all of you, we're really kidding, because I know that this week on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, right, you're going to sit around a table and everybody at the table is going to be a model of spiritual health and emotional maturity, right? Everyone around your table. You don't have a crazy uncle that's coming this week and you're dreading it, a crazy aunt, crazy cousin, what have you. I would think that everyone in here, right, you have somebody, you know somebody, one of my friends who is, uh, he's Catholic, he's Christian too. We're having an interesting conversation right after Thanksgiving and he said to me, he went to, out of state to go see his family and he said to me, I need a two hour therapy session after what I just endured hanging out with my family right so i know for all of us in here right that we have those memories we but th- there is a there is a longing though between the home that we have and the home that we really long for no matter what your home is like don't mistake what i'm saying no matter what your home is like there is a gap there is a chasm between what you live in and what you're really looking for and for some of us in here that chasm that gap is quite wide Because of all the pain that you endured growing up in your home. That's why we have words like broken homes. When you hear that term, Tabitha's up here talking about homes, and many of those homes are broken homes. But I would say to us this morning, on Christmas, the last Sunday of Advent, December 18th, 2016, there is no home in this world That will replace the aching and the longing for you to experience real home, a place where there is safety, a place where there is security, a place that you don't have to carry pain, you don't have to carry regret, you don't have to carry shame, home. And this is the time for you and you'll have an opportunity to come home. So why is it that we long for home? I know in my house, and I imagine many of you, we have a sign in our house in one of the rooms and it says, home is where your story begins. How many of you have that? And not a, not a lot of, not many of you. Okay. I thought a lot more of you would many men in here. You probably don't look at anything in your house anyway. You don't know what's really there, but uh, yeah, I saw it in the house and I said, that's a beautiful real illustration, but it's true, right? For better or for worse, home is where our story begins. Home is where we are named. Home is where we get our identity. Home is where we're called out, hopefully, into who we are and who we're supposed to be. It's such a powerful word. And when you look at the scriptures, home is, the Bible tells us it's replete with examples telling us that home is supposed to be a place that we can find real rest. Right, And I don't have my clicker and I'm going to grab it. And here's one example of that. I have a couple. Look what the psalmist says in 84 verse 3. He says, even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young a place near your altar. Oh, Lord almighty, my king and my God. Look at this. The sparrow, which was one of the most vulnerable creatures in the ancient world, even God cares enough about finding a home for this seemingly insignificant creature. And if the sparrow, if he takes care of the sparrow, how much more infinitely important are we as his creation created in his image? And there's another one. How about you go to Genesis and you look at the flood story and you look at Noah, right? And they're in the ark. What does Noah send out? He sends out a dove. And the dove is supposed to find dry land, and then what he tells us he comes back because he can 't and I want you to see this in eight eight nine that he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground, but the dove could find no place to set its feet right there. You stop right there that 's a Hebrew expression for home, a dwelling that the, the dove couldn 't find that because there was water all over the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark home. There's just something about it. They did a study. I'm not making this up or a survey. I want you to turn to the person next to you and I'll, I'll tell it to you this way. I want you to tell them what is the, your favorite room in your house. Go ahead. Tell the person next to you. Your favorite room in your house. All right, ready? I am going to venture to guess. I'll show of hands. How many of you said the kitchen? Kitchen. Really? Not even half of you. What were your other answers? Bedroom. Bedroom. Okay, some of you like to sleep. There's a problem, right? If people are given one extra hour every single day, how would they spend it? They would sleep. You sleep enough. You're fine, right? You don't need sleep. Kitchen was the number one answer for Husbands? For a kid, we like to eat. Husbands, kids, it was not the number one answer for mothers. Guess what the number one answer was for mothers? Go ahead. The bathroom. A place that you you said that. A place you could find safety. But you can't really find safety. You can't find safety. You lock the door. I know for us with my two, two-year-old, soon to be three-year-old... He's all the kids all over the place and we both try to hide and yet right, you know Parents, you know what i'm talking about and you're like trying to pass them up But the one place you think you can go to that's safe, even if you don't have to go to the bathroom And you lie and say you have to go to the bathroom you hide in there because you know your kids are coming nolan stalks us Kid wakes up in the morning. He stalks daddy in the bathroom And i'm yelling at her. Will you take care of your son? Your son, not my son, your son. Funny, but really, I thought that was kind of cute. But, but but law. we long for home because home is the place where we're supposed to belong, isn't it? It's the place that when we go there, we're supposed to come into the realization of who we are. We're supposed to be loved and we're supposed to be accepted. No matter what we do, home is supposed to be the place that when we go there, we're taken in. The great Robert Frost, uh, he, he wrote a poem some time ago and there was, there's a poignant piece in the poem, the, the name of the poem, if you want to look it up, it's called The Hired Man. And in there, it's a couple and they're reflecting on a, an acquaintance who is coming back and he's kind of troublesome and they have this whole conversation because the, the husband really doesn't want to bring him in and the wife is like, no, we, we should bring him in. And the husband says... Home is the place that when you go there, they have to take you back in. And she says, no, 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 no. Home is the place that when you go there, you don't deserve it. It's a picture of grace. She's saying you don't deserve when they actually take you in and accept you. What a picture of grace. Home is the place that we don't really deserve. It's unmerited. You can't earn it. But we try to. And you look in the Bible, the first verses in the Bible in the Old Testament are God creating home, the Garden of Eden. You know how many cities have had that name, named Eden? I even looked on the baby list. You see all those lists of like names. Eden is actually a name that's climbing. It was on. We don't have any girls, but it was on our short list. Should we have a girl there's something a longing in the human heart and it was paradise and man and woman were there and it wasn't just it wasn't just beautiful because of all the lush vegetation and everything that they had before them. It was beautiful because God was there. And the Bible tells us God used to walk with man in the cool of the day, that there was a partnership, there was a union, but that union was broken in the garden and man fell in the garden. And then the story that God tells becomes a story of how he can repair the home that was broken. And the sin that entered the world. And he'll try as you go through the Old Testament. And he tries with his people. And then he tries again. And he tries again. But he doesn't stop trying. And even though he's a jaded lover. And even though time and time again the Israelites turn their back on him. And they're stiff-necked. Here is a God who says, I will keep coming. Until ultimately 2,000 years ago. He is born to an impoverished couple. In an obscure village. In an unimportant place on the planet. He never holds political office. He never, he never even raises an army. A few hundred people will ever meet him in his lifetime. A few thousand people may have, may have heard him speak. But let me tell you something. That is the name that is above all names because that name has inspired more founding of hospitals and schools and universities than any other name. That name has inspired the expression of more art than any other name. That name that I'm talking about, Jesus Christ, is the name that would cause people to sacrifice their resources that would give up everything they have, give up safety and security to risk their lives because of this one Jesus and everything that he said. What if we went back, friends, 2,000 years ago, what if we went back to Bethlehem and what if we talked to somebody and I said, listen, wake up, pal, wake up. The Savior of the world is being born in your obscure, seemingly unimportant little village tonight. What do you think those people would say? That person would say? And then what if you said to them, hey, you know what's going to happen 2,000 years from now? They are going to celebrate the birth." Of this individual, just his birth into this world and that birth is going to cause traffic jams in Seoul, South Korea, in London, England, New York City, Los Angeles, all across the world. What would people really say? well come on, that's what happened 2,000 years ago. Give me another person. he's the most talked about, most written about person in the history of the world and maybe I'm going off my nose, but maybe you're somebody. Maybe you're somebody that has heard about this historical Jesus. We reckon time because of Jesus. When you look, if this man was not born, you think about the impact he's had on the sciences and music and every single sphere of society. Nobody has impacted the world like him. Don't just tell me he was just some person, or this book is all fables and fairy tales, when you haven't really researched it. And you haven't really researched... Jesus of Nazareth, who was a real person, a real person in the living flesh. That's what Christmas is. We're not here to just have all the Christmas trees and the lights and the beautiful flowers and the nice sweaters or the ugly sweaters and all this wonderful stuff. There is so much more to the Christmas season. You see, Jesus is looking for people to come home this year, today, today. It's not too late for you to come home here today. And I love, this is the last verse of the Old Testament. The Italian prophet Malachi, look what he says. He says, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Could we use, this is the last verse before the silence of a couple of hundred years. This is the last verse of the Old Testament. Let me tell you, God has not forgotten. God knows he is repairing what has been lost. The paradise that was lost will be regained. Don't you look at the world out there and think that could we, I mean, are we a people today? Don't we want to see this? The hearts of kids turn to fathers and the hearts of fathers turn to kids. You bet we do. But don't you think leaving here today when you look at the world outside that he doesn't know and that he doesn't care He knows exactly where things are at and he's exactly on the schedule that he knows he's supposed to have But our longing friends our longing for home is really an echo again of our longing for god And the problem though is we want god, but then we don't want god (laughs) We want god sometimes when it's convenient but then God, I, don't make me obey you. Don't tell me to do certain things with my money, with my time, all my resources. Don't place any restrictions on me. I'll come to church. High holidays, I'll be there. But don't ask me to do too much. Don't get too involved in my life. And we don't want them to. One of the greatest stories Jesus told—the unforgettable story of the prodigal son. It's a broken home story. It's a story. If you don't know it, that's fine. You never heard the story of the prodigal son. It's a story of a son who asks his dad while he's alive for his inheritance, which is something in the ancient world you would never do, even in the modern world. Who does that? And Jesus tells a story about this guy, this son who takes his inheritance. The father gives it to him freely and he squanders everything that he has. He goes off and he's literally then in a pig pen. He's lost everything. He has nothing And he wonders, he says, what if I can go back home? What if I go back home? Do you think my father will accept me? And he says, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll go on the good works program. I'll earn my way back into my father's house. That's what I'll do. I'll get back in his good graces. And as the story goes, if you don't know it right The father, the son is coming home. And in the distance, the father sees him. And there's the father. He doesn't wait for the son to come to him. He runs out to where the son is. And he throws his arms around him. And he hugs him. And he says, bring him in. Where's the fatted calf? Get the fatted calf. This is it. My son, who was lost, has now been found. He didn't have to earn his way back in. He was accepted home because of who his father was. Not anything that he did. He says come back home and he comes listen to me everyone is supposed to come home but you know what we are as human beings we're runaways we're runaways and we run away we're stiff-necked we're stubborn rebels can I talk about I want to can I give you a little history lesson now I'm gonna give you some wow can I give you a little history lesson now all right you know I like to set things in in the proper context I want to give you a picture this Christmas. It's going to take me a few minutes, but I want to give you a picture of what something Jesus talks about that it's so popular, but it's kind of been distorted. And I want you to see the glorious picture at the end. Hopefully, it's one of those aha moments. And you, I want you to look on the side screens, and I want to talk about homes in first century Palestine, okay? This, um, I drew this last night, and what I'm trying to convey to you what I'm trying to convey to you, this is called an insula, I-N-S-U-L-A. And an insula is a home, but very different than what you and I would consider a home, right? The insula was a courtyard that you see the people here. They're gathered around. This is where they would, you know, uh, kill the animals that they were going to eat. This is where they'd kind of hang out. This is where they'd play games and do all. This is where life really took place in this insula, in this courtyard. And what you see behind this, in the background, see this guy right here? These would be rooms that would be added on to the insula. These would be rooms where people would actually stay. You with me? Everybody, you with me, right? So these are rooms. Now, these were multi-generational dwellings. So when somebody got married, marriage was much different then than it is now. And I'll explain all of this. But when somebody got married, you had multi generational dwellings. So when somebody got married, it wasn't like, hey, let's go hunt for an apartment or let's go look for a new house. You added a room on your, your parents' house. So if it was, you were the son on your dad or dad's house. If you were the girl on your father in law's house. You just built rooms on this. Everyone with me? Okay. So this is what an insula is. Now, what's fascinating about this, and I guess I should give you some more information on this, um, about the marriages. Maybe I'll do that now. So the average age for a girl, I told you in the past on sermons and trying to give you the real Mary. Mary was probably 13 or 14 years old. That was like between 13 and 15 was the normal age that girls would get married. Now, guys would usually be in their 20s, so they would be a little bit older. And, like, as Joseph was, and, you know, all the men in here, that you're married maybe to a younger spouse, you all said amen, all right? I would never have said that if my wife was in here, I'm a smart man, okay? All right, so Jesus, when he talked about these situations, it was interesting. And, you, and there was a term, there was a term that they would use, the bride was referred to as, she who was bought at a price, Because the father of the groom and the father of the bride... And I've done like the blood path and the sacrifices, It's a little different. But they would sit down and negotiate what would be known as the bride price. How much is the groom's family willing to pay? Hopefully you're starting to see a picture. How much are you willing to pay for that girl that your son is madly in love with? Now, Jesus... He often, when he talked about his wedding stories, he would talk about an announcement going out to people that the wedding day had come. Now, here's another difference. In their day, stay with me, first century, in their day, you didn't know, a bride and groom didn't even know when the exact day was going to be. Isn't that crazy? Real history. They didn't know. Today, you go and you say, I'm going to go to a catering facility. I'd like to get married on June 27, 2018. Boom. You lock that day in. You know when you're going to get married. You send out invitations. You send out reminders. Whatever. You know. In this day, in the first century, the bride and groom did not know. Here's what would happen. The groom would go with his father and they would build on the insula a new room that was going to be their dwelling for when they got married. So, and if it, was, if it was me, right, and I was forced, I, I would have died before I ever got married because I never would have been able to finish the, I'm laughing at myself this morning. I, I never would have been able to do this, okay, ever. Even if Joseph was my dad, not this Joseph, but the Joseph from the Bibles, there's no way it would have happened. But you as the groom, you would work with the, your father and you would build this room. So the son would be there with the father. Dad, are we done yet? And, and betrothal was different too, because you didn't, you you couldn't, you didn't have text messaging and emailing, but you couldn't contact your bride. She, the whole time, she, the whole time she's waiting, she's a bride, right? She's waiting and she's waiting because she has to pick out who are going to be her bridesmaids. Oh, and then they have to make her wedding dress because she has to look so beautiful. Where are the Maldonados, by the way, where are you? I'm going to digress for a second uh, the Maldonados, if you don't know them, John and Bridget got married last weekend in this church and congratulations. Yes. Again, good to have you back today. And it was interesting. I've said this before. I said it to them at the wedding, right in the beginning. And they were probably, you know, your faces, you were like, but you were in the moment. It's okay. So there they they were up here. And I said, right. Nobody at a wedding cares what the groom looks like. Does anybody care what the groom looks like at a wedding? You really care? It's the bride. Doesn't she look so radiant? Look at the bride. How beautiful she is. She looks ravishing. And I, sa- I said to Bridget, Bridget, you look great. But you know what? The groom never gets any love. You want to make some money? You start a new magazine, Modern Groom. Modern <laughs> Groom. Yup, yup, yup. Making lots of money off that. I have other ideas that I don't want to divulge to you until they're copyrighted, trademarked and all that. I have an attorney in the house, a a copyright. uh, What do you do again? (laughs) Kidding. I'm kidding. Interesting. So I'm totally digressing. So there it is. So the building program is underway. All right. You with me still? (laughs) Bad job. Bad job, teacher. So as the building program is underway, right, the groom is, dad, I want to, bird. come on. Are we going to finish? And the dad will have to be like, listen, son, you got to be patient. Be patient. It's going to happen. But oh, then the day would come when the groom's father would say to the groom, now is the time. Go get your bride. And they would have a shofar, a trumpet. I didn't bring mine in today. I don't want to scare some of you. I've used it before, but the shofar would go off and boom, and you would hear that noise. The bride knew that the groom was coming and she had to get ready. This was the day that she's been waiting her entire life for. And she's had to go and wrestle. Will the groom really come? Will he forget about me? Or is he really going to come and get me waiting? And there's a longing and you didn't know. And there was an uncertainty. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you didn't figure out what I'm telling you in that story and what Jesus was saying, because look, he's talking to his disciples. Maybe I'll make it plain like this. He's talking to his disciples. He's trying to tell them he's going to die. He's going to go to a cross. They don't want to hear any of that part of that story. And this is what he says to them in John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Yes, I'm going to die. Listen. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. Stop there. How many of you have heard this before? Right? You've heard this passage. Famous. What does it say in the old King James? Mansions. Woo! And we read that and you've heard that and you've thought, well, listen, God, I don't want a ranch. I don't want a Victorian. I want the farmhouse. I want the colonial. I want the tutor. Right? Come on. Be honest. Be honest. How many people you've looked at? Listen, one day I'm getting a sick mansion. Well, that's not really what it meant. You see, in the old King James Bible was actually written mansions. It connoted, it meant a simple dwelling, a simple dwelling. So Some of you are like, really? You just blew up my world, what I was looking at. Now, he goes on to say later in the chapter, look at this. If anyone loves me, he will obey my obey my teaching. My father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Do you see, friends, what Jesus is saying to his disciples? That, listen, you're coming to my father's insula and the rooms are already there for you. And I'm paving the way. But the way that I have to go is through a cross, which, by the way, in case you didn't know it. Is the most, this, this form of punishment becomes the most recognized symbol in the history of the world. A, a instrument of execution and death. And he's trying to tell them, listen, I'm gonna pave the way so that you can be with me in my home and you can reside with me forever and you can find security and all of your dreams and everything that you've aspired to do, you can find that, you can experience that, it'll be real. Isn't that I just I love this. I love this history. I love what it means for us as Christians. I love what the identity that Jesus is coming to give because here are these disciples and they've walked around life and they've been troubled and they've been lost and kind of in this Jesus they found a home. They found a home in him and now you're taking him he's, now you're you're leaving us. You're going to leave us now? He's saying, "Oh no, don't worry. Don't you worry, you will be with me again. I sat there yesterday and I don't know if this is awful parenting. Maybe you can help me pretend like you're um, you're you're like you're the therapist. There I am yesterday. It's eight o'clock in the morning and Megan came downstairs and I'm sitting with Jameson and I'm on my Kindle and he wants to read. And it's it, it was religious. The stuff it wasn't the Bible, but whatever theological shocker. And uh, I'm reading the stuff and then he started reading it with me. And Megan comes in, ruins the moment, and turns the TV set on. She thinks she's ruining the moment. She turns the TV set on, and then the Passion of the Christ was on. Passion of the Christ. I don't. I don't really watch that. I saw it when it first came out. Maybe I saw it one other time, but it was towards the end of the movie. And I looked at my seven-year-old, and she, my wife looked. We looked at each other, and I'm like, "Do we, Jameson? Are you afraid? Is this okay?" And the kid sat there, and we had a conversation like I've never had with him before about what that meant and what what Jesus was actually doing, the questions that he was asking. And then Mel it beautifully done, the teardrop as it comes down. And I, I tried to explain to him, and I was, I was thinking about this, and I said, I'm trying to explain as best I can, Jameson, what Jesus did and what this means for us that we can finally come home. Because, there's listen, there's nothing in this world that will ever satisfy us. Can I give you an illustration? Can I leave you with one? Here's the illustration I want to leave you with. I didn't know if I was going to do it, but I feel led to do it. The illustration, I want you to imagine you're a house, okay? You're a house. Jesus is outside of the house. And Jesus is knocking on the door of your house. Jesus will not force his way into your house. He's not going to force his way in. He's not going to be too obtrusive. He wants you to let him into the house. But you know what our problem is many times? Oh, it's, come on. Listen, I have to be brutally honest and transparent with you. For many of us, we don't want Jesus to come into the house because the house is a mess. Am I preaching yet? Because the house is a mess and we don't want to let him inside to see everything that's there. But what we do is when we need something from Jesus, we go up to the door and we, I've done this. I'm speaking from my own experience and I've cracked the door before and Jesus is there. And I say, Jesus, can you give me this? Jesus, can you give me that? Jesus, can you give me this? But after he's done giving me something, I shut the door and I leave him outside because I don't want him to see all the mess that's inside because you know what? I'm going to clean that up. And I've spent a lot large portion of my life trying to clean up the mess and trying to distract myself from the mess. And let me tell you, I've let things into the house to try to distract me from the mess. Maybe you have as well. I think about all the stuff. Megan and I are just going through the house and getting rid of stuff and the stuff that accumulates. And I thought about it from a spiritual perspective. How much stuff have we accumulated? How much junk is in our house, but we don't let Jesus come into the house because we're ashamed of how it looks and we try and we find people, right? This person is going to help me clean up my mess. This thing is going to help me clean up my mess. When I get this promotion of my job, when I do this, when I buy this, this is going to help me get rid of the mess. Or, you know what we do? You know what we do? Other people, this is what we do. I had a friend as a kid and I'll never forget to go over his house and I, I don't know if any of you did, but he, the, all the furniture was like covered in this one room. And it was like the sacred room that nobody was allowed to go in and nobody was allowed to touch anything. Okay, if you have one of those rooms, that's all right. Pastor Linda can help you. She'll counsel you. I won't. But if you have one of those, the kid had one of those rooms. So everything was covered and everything was perfect. And usually, do you ever notice, like you go by home sometimes, you look inside, like I'm at a holiday party last night with other people. We were invited to a holiday party with homes near us. And you always see these homes. But then when you go inside, right? And what we're good at is that front room is usually that good room. The front room that people can see from the street. Leave the front room really clean, right? Everything's in perfect condition. And the rest of the house is a total mess. You know what some of us have done, friends? We have told Jesus to go sit in one room of the house. You can sit in this room of the house, but you can't go to the rest of the house. Or we've evicted Jesus out of the house. He used to be in the house, friends, but he's not here anymore. And for some of you, I never get you back. So I am a little in your face today because I love you. You've evicted Jesus from the house. And you know what? You've tried with everything the world has to offer to find happiness, to find contentment. When the guy that can help you, Jesus Christ, is standing outside your door in an apron with a bucket and a mop. And he's looking to clean up your house. But we don't let them in. We can't, none of us in here, we can try as hard as we want. That's why I'm sorry when people say it's just about being a good person. There's still a mess in our house, there's still a chasm. God is infinite and God is perfect, there's a chasm. Where does it end? Where does it begin? You get in conversations even with kids. And I'm like, all right, so who's going to go to hell? And where is the line? Where's the line of demarcation? Hitler and pick any person, Pol Pot, pick anybody you want. Where is the line though? And you can't define that line. We're all people that have run away. We're all prodigal sons and daughters. Transformation can happen, friends, if we open up the door to our house and we let him inside. Transformation can happen when we open up our lives to the one that went to the cross, the one that was born 2000 years ago, came into the world, lived a life, was the greatest teacher the world has ever seen. And his salvific work on the cross is for us, every single one of us in here. We're all searching, we're all looking to come back home. And maybe that's you today, I don't know, and we don't usually, I don't usually preach messages like this, but... It was, it was burning in my heart to give you the truth this year on December 18, 2016 about the truth of the gospel. You are marred by sin. And so am I, we all have junk. And the only one that can clean it up is Jesus and stop acting as if you're a mess. You can't do anything with it. And you're embarrassed by it. That's pride. Just put, call it what it is. None of us are perfect. None of us are. The person that's speaking to you. You'll fall down, but I always say it to you. You know what I know and understand? I understand he loves me. And I don't try to be perfect. And I don't try to live with any airs about me. I know I'm not perfect, but I know I'm perfectly loved. No matter what I do, no matter what I do, I'm loved. And so are you this morning. And maybe you feel a long way from home. I read a... Um, fascinating book. I'll leave you with this, I promise. The name of the book is a, a Long Way Home. And it's a story, maybe you saw it, they made a movie about it, it's called Lion, and it just came out this past year. And it's a story of this young man from India, who when he was five years old, he's with his 13-year-old brother, and they're at a train station. And his brother went somewhere for a little while, and this kid's on this railroad car, and he's sitting on the railroad car, and he falls asleep, He wakes up a few hours later, and he's in Calcutta, 1,500 miles away from his home. True story. Amazing. Lives on the streets as an orphan for a few weeks. Eventually gets taken in an orphanage there. He doesn't know where his family is. He has no way to contact them. No one can help him. An Australian couple came to that orphanage and adopted him. Twenty six years later in 2011, you see, he had always had annoying uh, presence, something going on inside of him where he wanted to go back and see his real family because he he had a home, but he knew it wasn't his real home. So he wanted to get back to his real home. In 2011, he went online and he went on Google Imaging and he saw Google Maps. And he had somebody help him. And in the book he talks about it it was like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Because he recollected he had a few faint memories of what happened. What that train station actually looked like. So he wouldn't stop. He was tenacious for over a year. He's looking and he's searching. And he finally goes there in 2012 in the area, the vicinity. He thinks it is. And he finds some locals. And the locals, he tells them their story. And then the locals get him in touch with his family. And the reunion, you have to watch the movie. The reunion, this man that was lost for 26 years and knew he wasn't truly home and he finds his home. May that be for you this Christmas. May you come home this Christmas. Lord, let me just pray. Father. Father, I pray for any person in here today, Lord, that has walked in with depression. I know the holiday season can cause that and they're worried and they're anxious and they're just filled with fear. Lord, I ask that they would just look to you this morning because you're the one that overcame everything. You're the one that said, I will lay down my life. He could have called down legions of angels on that cross. And the soldiers and the the Pharisees and they're there and they're calling. Why can't you come there? If you're the son of God, come down off that cross. And the reason why he couldn't was because he saw us and he loved us so much. And he's calling all of us home. Father, I ask that we truly would find peace in you. Father, I ask for the runaways, Lord, in here. People that have backslidden, Lord. People that say, you know what? My house is a mess, but I've confined Jesus to an area or I've evicted him. Lord, I thank you that you're the God that never gives up. Father, I thank you that you're the God of second and third chances. Lord, I thank you that you're a God that says, I'll keep traveling after you. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. I'll go to the corners of the earth. If you make your bed in hell, I'll go there too. Father, where is there another God like you? There is not another God like you. So, Lord, touch hearts this morning, and as we come to this table, as we close this meeting, Father, I ask that you, Lord, that your presence would just be so rich here. Father, do something inside of us. Invade us, Lord. Reinvigor us. Give us new life. Give us a new, clearer understanding, a new revelation of what Christmas truly is. Lord, it's a homecoming. Only will we find peace in you. Amen. City on a Hills podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.